Hey folks, welcome to Trust in the Process. This is a podcast with myself, Travis Fritz, uh, owner and brewer at Old Nation. Uh, today, uh, I have the honor of talking to Kim Collins, who's the owner and head brewer at Guardian uh, Brewing. And Kim and I have never met. Um, so this is a really great opportunity to get inside uh, the head of someone who has been making a lot of waves in the brewing industry here in Michigan, is already deeply entrenched uh, certainly more than I am in the brewing community here in Michigan. Um, so I'm really interested to, to, to get your perspective on Michigan, on states outside of Michigan, places that you've worked, Kim, and I'm so thankful that you came on um, to spend your Wednesday morning with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks for that rock and Pride shirt that you and Tiff sent last year. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy you got it. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, an auspicious month to be, uh, to be, to be sending those back and forth, uh, this month. Yeah. Um, so here we are now talking for the first time, Kim. Yes. You are at Guardian Brewing. Can you give me the, can you give me, can you give everyone, all five people who are, might be listening to this in the future, um, can you give them kind of the rundown, the pitch of Guardian Brewing, uh, so that I don't mess it up? Okay, so I'll do a shorter elevator. <laughs> uh, Guardian Brewing Company is the only 100% queer and women-owned brewery in Michigan. We've been open since December 2018. I personally have been brewing professionally for 10 years, so this baby's been like in the oven forever. Um, we have a 6,000 square foot like brewery area, which includes like offices and walk-in and stuff which is a crazy, a lot of space. We can get into that if you want later. Um, we have a 1200 square foot restaurant, a 3,500 square foot patio. I like numbers, but past that you walk in and everything is like light and airy and warm and vibrant. Like we definitely didn't want to go, no offense for the folks that, you know, pioneered the industrial look. I chose to go the opposite direction. So everything's like neutral tones and wood and like crazy concert posters and signed guitars. Like we love live music and we name all of our beers after creatures and lore and <clears throat> things that may or may not exist. Because if you're not having fun, what the heck are you doing in the brewing industry? Like go, you can do anything else. That's that's fun. <laughs> I can say it's fun all the time, but if you're not at least like making an effort to have some fun, you're missing out. And then our whole thing is like, everyone's welcome at Guardian. So we have huge array of food available from meat to vegan and vegetarian, gluten-free options. And then I make 22 taps of beer because I can't decide. They're all my favorite babies. Um, anything from like, I really like lower alcohol stuff, but we have some higher stuff on all the time too. Um, just got into seltzers, wince, my face is wincing um, because I believe in inclusivity. Um, it's, we're not like canning them or anything. I just want people to have options when they come to the restaurant. And we do like markets and trivia and lots of things for the community. We just want to be that third space. That is fantastic. When, with regard then to the beer that you're brewing there, I understand the perspective because I share it and have for many years that, you know, the one of the most awkward you know, I think it's a secret maybe among brewers. It's okay that folks don't know, but one of the most awkward questions you can be asked as a brewer is not what is your favorite beer, but yeah. what is your favorite beer that you make, right? It's awful. 
So, Kim Collins, what is your favorite beer that you make? Thank you, Travis. <laughs> what is your favorite beer to can make? I, can I? Well, that's a totally different question. I was yeah. going to go with if the beer was on every day, what beer would I drink? Because it's kind of the style that I love the most. And that would be we make an English pale with coffee and then just like a, a pinch of cacao nibs. So it tastes like coffee. So it's a light colored coffee ale, but it's not a blonde. It's an English pale. So it has a little more body, a little more like, I don't want to say bitterness, but hot presence. So a sure. little bit more herbaliness to it. So we add, I, I've always added coffee cold in the fermenter. Are you, is that what you're doing too? Yeah, we do it like a, so I, <laughs> we don't filter our beer, mm -hmm. but I also don't want to screw up my yeast cropping. And so I had somebody weld D-rings on the inside of my um, dry hop port caps. And so we hang stainless steel chains inside our tanks. Mm -hmm. So pretty much we're like hanging huge bags of ground coffee in there or, or fruit or hops. Or we, we don't just dump our hops in. Like everything gets bagged when it goes in. And so we get really good yeast like this is a nerdy podcast, right? Like we yeah, get yeah. No, it's nerdy. Yeah, awesome yeast cropping because of it. There's no like freaking juniper berries in my yeast. Like nobody wants that. That's <laughs> it just clogs everything. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, hanging bags of hops uh, in the dry hop phase. I'm I'm familiar. Yep. I, of course, the world has changed, and it's not you know the late '90s anymore. But early on in my career, the the folks that I knew that did that. Um, mostly were English style brewers or actual English brewers. Um, in your journey to, to where you are now, are there any specific disciplines that, that you focused on uh, in the past, you know, because of the places that you were working were, mm -hmm. were focused on a particular discipline or is it just kind of good ideas come and bad ideas don't stay? Well, it's always that, but right. <laughs> I think that, um, a lot of my uh, like barrel aging love comes from Epic, so right. Epic Brewing in Denver. So I was their first brewer that they hired when they moved. Well, not when they moved, but they opened the second location in Denver. And so I learned everything about barrel aging from them and blending fruit in barrels and like second fermentations. And I mean, I just, but I like to do lower alcohol stuff too, which I know a lot of people are real worried about doing and it's turned out super well. Um, yeah. So like there's that, but then past that, I like equally super traditional beer and then really odd combinations of things in beer, but really it's just flavors. So we like to deconstruct things like, uh, right now we have Dutch mafia on, which is our Stroop waffle cream ale. Right. So the <laughs> waffles are awesome. So we have a great cream ale base that's super flexible and um, we do a few, maybe five beers a year off of that, like just really different things that you wouldn't think came from a similar beer, but it's like graham crackers and honey and vanilla and a little bit of lactose, not a crazy amount. Like I like to make these beers drinkable by the pint. Good. Yes. Good. Yes. Good. You could come and it's, it is one of our sweeter beers, but it's not so sweet that you couldn't even drink two pints of it. Of course you could. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So when when you're working at when you're working at Epic, you're you're in Denver. So you're in what is, in my perspective, kind of a, a more established mm -hmm. 
it's weird to talk about this, right? Because it's all craft beer, so it's all new in the perspective. Oh my god, though, I go there now and like I don't know how they got the rest of the equipment in there. Right. <laughs> like, that place is packed. It's You're amazing. Right. Yeah. Right. But but I mean, I guess and not just epic, but um, it's interesting, I think, for folks who who are just interested in craft beer in Michigan and haven't spent a lot of time in states like Colorado or California or the you know Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest, um, to you know to have folks kind of that that have like you go into talking about what the what the difference in the perspective of the consumer is, what mm-hmm. then therefore the difference in the perspective of the brewers is. In 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 my experience, it is a it is a different community. It's not completely different, but there are different interesting differences in the community in Colorado than in Michigan of brewers about brewing beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wonder what your experience was and, uh, and, and if you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, I love that guild and I love the passion and the camaraderie of that guild. Um, literally, you do not need to own or even brew. Like you can just get connected with folks that work in breweries and we're all kind of looking out for each other and you can give away beer for free there, which is just a different law than here. So pretty much like if you are a brewer and or somebody that works at a brewery and can prove it otherwise, like especially if you're trading beer, you can go to all these other establishments and just kind of trade beer back and forth really openly. Like that's just what people do. It's constantly like sharing beer and bringing it to each other. Um, They have this great, their festival called the Brewers Rendezvous in Salida in the summer. And they do, um, what's called the brewer's belt. And so every year they have a theme. So, and you, you don't have to participate, but if you want to, it's, you know, like a small batch of something that you'll make. So one of the themes one year was Centennial state because they are the Centennial state. So of course Centennial hops and like, but you can do whatever you want with it. And so that somebody made a Saison, somebody made, you know, all the hoppier beers varieties, like, but whoever's like most creative and it's most delicious wins. Um, and I won my first year working for a three barrel brewery in Golden. <laughs> Crazy. Um, the that was Coors, right? That's the three barrel brewery in Golden. Yeah, right. It was right <laughs> across the street from Coors. <laughs> <clears throat> right across the street from Coors, and those boys came and drank my beer after work. So I think that's. Cool. <laughs> I'm like, I love those guys. They were great. Really supportive of the industry. Um, but the the theme was 38 because they're the 38th state as well. And so the beer had to be 3.8% ABV, which is really low to make something that's like also delicious. So I made a, a wit beer and it was called Go Wit It. And <laughs> my baby brewer self won. It's so crazy. So, you know, little just, and it was fun because every year it was something really different. And like, if you didn't win, who didn't care? Like it was you against all of your friends. So it's kind of like what I would think a, a like a dream homebrew club would be. But among <laughs> professional brewers, you know, like all that camaraderie plus like high quality brewing. Yeah. And then just like all sorts of competition. But like we collaborate, like they have collaboration fest out there, a whole festival dedicated to collaborations. Like they're just so involved is the short of it. And everyone is so close. And like if you need anything, there's you know an entire guild of people. And so that's why as soon as we got to Michigan, I wanted to get involved with our guild. Because I think that we are younger. Well, I know that we are younger factually, um, but I think that we're moving in that direction, and it's really exciting. Yeah, uh, and and certainly the guild has been a, a force in Michigan brewing for mm-hmm. you know more than twenty years. Um, <clears throat> I wonder, 
so let me let me even back up a little bit farther, I guess. You were working as a as a professor, I think, before you became a brewer or a, we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. I've read a lot about you online and we didn't speak. So I apologize if I'm getting no, I always cringe at the word professor because I only have a master's degree. But it yes, I was a, a college instructor, I'll say. <laughs> you were a college instructor. Fair yeah. enough. Yes, I was. Where 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 was this? Uh, Indiana University and then Metropolitan State University of Denver. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And your career path then as a brewer began in Denver or, or somewhere else? I was helping uh, run. I was the assistant director for the outdoor center at Indiana. Um, teaching was part of that. And uh, I knew that I was ready to take the next step in something. And so I took the uh, certified beer server exam online during my workday. <laughs> And passed it just like straight off the bat. I'm like, okay, so maybe this beer thing. And then I started looking for courses and I signed up for the MBAA brewing and malting course. Cool. That, that was the beginning while I was in Indiana, but then we knew we were moving to Denver. So or that's somewhere in the area. Okay. So this was <laughs> I knew something. it had to begin out there somewhere, but being a person that has a lot of schooling, I'm like, okay, so maybe I'll just I believe that both are important. And if you have both, it's more helpful. No Especially question. as a woman, like who the hell's gonna hire me if I don't show them that I'm serious? Like I'm not some guy just walking in, like, oh I'm a, you know, I know these 10 people from the local homebrew club. I know nobody. <laughs> so I had to make myself look amazing on paper. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, I believe you. Um I, I think uh going into Colorado and having had that education then before you moved, it seems like some kind of kismet, right? Because you're sort of moving into the epicenter with this prepared, right? So yeah. you're setting yourself up for your own luck, right? You're you're prepared and you're giving yourself opportunity. Yes. Um, and so I know what I read uh, had a lot to do with your goals with regard to inclusivity and um, equity and equality and, and all of those kind of things with mm -hmm. regard to your brewing career. And I've I want I want to talk to you about that. I, I also want to talk to you about your 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 journey as a professional brewer, um, yeah. and and just how that affected you, uh, and 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 what your experience was um, in terms of of learning the, that craft. And I, I know for myself, after my own education, I came back and realized how much I, I didn't know, um, and yeah. and I wonder how that was for you. Yeah, so I went to that MBAA course in Madison, and it was awesome, but it hurt my head. Like, I'm a smart girl. Like, it just hurt. Like, I studied social science, so studying, like, the chemistry and microbiology and stuff. So I was like, oh, man. Like, in some ways, um, my beard has just enough to do with science to make it clean uh, and way more creativity to make it delicious. And somewhere in there, we, like, get it right. Um but I came in, I say in like the old school way, because you can really go to school, like four year school for brewing now. So I know I used to teach for KVCC here, Kalamazoo Valley Community College, but there's so many places that you can go to school. And that was not the case back in like 2011, 2012. So <clears throat> I was in that course because I just, I don't know, I, I have a tough time sitting still and doing one thing. So like, this is good that we're here now. Like I'm just just here with you, but I'm in the course and I uh, applied for all these jobs and they're like, you don't have any experience. And I was like, yes, I know. Like I absolutely, know. like I am not. That's why I'm here, buddy. Unaware of my fact, Captain Obvious, like I got it. But one of the guys like, I can't hire you, but come talk to me when you're back in town. And I was like, yes, like that's, 
So that's my friend, Eric Rohde, who used to be at um, Tommyknocker Brewing in Idaho Springs, which is just, we were in Golden on the foothill, like the first foothill outside of Denver. So it was probably 25 minutes away. It was super close. So I went in to go see him and I was like, hi, I'm Kim. I want to be your intern. And he's like, we don't do interns. And I was like, I want to be your apprentice. <laughs> you don't have to pay me much is what I'm saying. Like, work. Is it semantics that you're worried about? I was like, I just want to be a brewer. Like, please, please, like somebody give me a shot. And yeah, I didn't even have to say all those pleases. And he's just like, we'll show up tomorrow at 5 a.m. Like you can brew with Jim. So right. Jim McCann is still there, still rocking. I'm like, he's a great brewer. He's a really kind guy. He's a gentle guy. I'm like, sorry, Jim. Now the world knows. I'm like, just a really good dude. So I worked with like a bunch of wonderful, thoughtful, respectful men there. And it was sweet. It was a perfect beginning. I got really lucky. Once I started driving the forklift, they had to put me on payroll though. Word. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so $9 an hour. Hey man, nine more than you were making. Yeah, <laughs> that's nine more than zero. I was in. So I knew like once my claw was in, like I was done. It was my first day that I knew was going to be a make break. I we needed to take all the specialty grains and walk them up a a long flight of stairs, old like dipping wood stairs. Like it was the building was like hundreds of years old. It was beautiful but you have to walk all the specialty grains up. They just don't have any way to get it up. Whereas the, um, they have a silo for their base malt. And so the first bag, toss it over the shoulder, pulled all the muscles in my ribs. <laughs> and like, I'm a big girl and I have strong shoulders, but like, whoo, I didn't say a word. I just walked that grain right up and dropped it off and did it again, like nine more times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I knew this was it. Like, it was a lot of cleaning. It was a lot of moving stuff around, but it was still interesting to me. And I, I mean, if you don't love that part, which is what I tell every person that shadows with me or assists, I was like, if you don't like any part of this process, go, go yeah. find something else to do because yeah. you're not going to get anybody else to do it for you until yeah. like 20 years into your career. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Uh, so, so you begin brewing and when did, I, I think it's, it's, it's true for anyone who, who starts at a brewer that there's a period of time uh, as a brewer, that there's a period of time uh, in which you are working and not responsible for really making any decisions about what it is that you are making. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, which is good. I think, I think that's true in any trade. Um, and, and it's, it's true. It's true in brewing it. I think if you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. So when was the point then that you can kind of, if you, if you think back, you can identify and say, okay, this is when I had real impactful input. And, and, and what was that input? What, what was it? And also what was it like for you to have it? How did that change your perspective? If any, if, if, if at all. So I had like, like a little puff of it. So after Tommy knocker, I worked for Boulder beer. So RIP Boulder beer, um, old scary haunted ass building i'm like oh my god that place is creepy as get out but anyway uh, on friday so haunted so on fridays we used to brew like one barrel beers they had literally like a big metal barrel and that was our pilot system and we would do that and i made i they're like it's your turn to brew and like i have never made a professional recipe or like anything more than like a five gallon dry malt extract recipe at the time oh good you're ready yeah, 
so ready. They're like, you make a beer. And I was like, if I don't do this right, like these boys are going to be even like meaner to me than they are right now. Like, okay, I got to get this right. So I did a double IPA um, dry hopped with uh, mosaic and juniper berries. And I think it might have had like glacier in there too or something at the time. Uh, but that's become the Nessie. That was my first professional recipe is now our double IPA that people are like, I'll be brewing later today. And they're like, oh my God, don't run out of Nessie. Like it's, it's that beer. So this is the, so this this is the first the, this time is... that I got to like make something served in the pub that they weren't like, oh, that sounds awful. Like it was a great beer. Yeah. The first time. And then past that, um, I was working at Epic Brewing and I was friends with uh, the three barrel brewery owners in Golden for barrels and bottles at the time. And uh, the owners were like, hey, we need a head brewer. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like I do want to open my own brewery. And this is the most logical like next step. I was at this point, I was calling myself the horror of the front range because this was my fifth brewery that I'd be working for in five years. You know, for men, they call that being a journeyman. Oh, great. Well, <laughs> how nice that must be for you. <laughs> I, I, think, I think for women too, like, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how nice that must be. No, I get interviews and they're like, are you a job hopper? And I'm like, no, I want to open my own brewery. Like I'm seeking these like specific experiences so that I'm going to be a great brewer. Like I'll be, we thought we were going to be in Colorado. I'm like, I'll be brewing right by you. Like I will be your peer. Yay. So anyway, they hired me as their head brewer. And then I started making all the decisions after having made none of the decisions at all ever. Uh, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. But I'm happy that the first like month that I was there, I had convinced them to put in glycol because they didn't have glycol before this. Holy balls. Wow. No glycol. They had a cool bot and a cooler with no ventilation. And I walked in one day and passed out. I don't like know all the CO2 that. was in there. Like, oh my God, it almost killed me. So I was like, we need to talk about how I almost died today. Let's talk about that. But and more importantly, let's be good to the beer, guys. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so we got that brewery, and it's great because I've seen pictures of it since I left, and it still looks the same way. I'm like, yeah, I did a good setup. So it was nice to have a little space, and they only gave me like five taps. Out of their like, shoot, they had so many, 25 taps, 30 taps. Of, of beer brewed there. Of beer brewed there. They only gave me like five taps, which is probably a blessing. I was complaining at the end, but in the beginning to put out five beers that were like properly carbonated, man, that was so hard for me in the beginning. I don't know with why. No like, How did you even do that with no glycol? You were priming them, I guess? With, no, I had to, that first month was all planning and cleaning and recaulking and ripping stuff out and they put the glycol in. Then I started brewing. Got it. Gotcha. So we were just, we like, they're a pub, which means different things over there. So they had 20 taps of other people's beer and yes. five taps of their own beer, like 20 wine taps. Like that place was so much stuff in it. So I had a whole month to attempt to get the brewery to where a professional brewery should be in my mind, which sure. obviously that worked out. So yay and get my recipes together and that sort of stuff. So we just hit the ground running. Um, do you first, remember your first your starting lineup, your first five? I do. Uh, I think I at least remember three of them. So one of them was called Piney the First. So it was a Chinook Pale. Okay, makes sense. Yep, Piney the First. 
Uh, Juniperus, again, that IPA popped up again, the double IPA with juniper berries. This is what would become Nessie. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like, why not use other people's money to get your recipes right? Like, that's just smart. And I they get the benefit off of the deliciousness. <laughs> 100%. That's what I tell my brewers. I'm like, what do you got? I'm going to yeah. keep it. So don't give me your like AA game, but like, let's work this out. Like you can workshop your beer here. I think right. it's well, awesome. Look, take it with you. All you got to do is change the name, right? I mean, I'm also- I mean, You can take it with you for sure. Or you can just, I never gave anybody the final recipe. Mm. I always gave them one derivation. You can hand somebody your mac and cheese recipe and they'll never make it. Like they never make it. Like how long was the sparge? How hot was it? Like there's yeah. a thousand things that- Anyway, so uh, so double IPA pale ale, and there was yeah, go with it that wit beer, wit beer, three point eight percent wit beer, and there was one more. It's probably like a wheat or a porter. Um, I made oh, it's probably sinful, so cinnamon porter. Yum, yum. That was one of the early ones that I made. Yum. Good one. Okay, we're talking about porter. Let me just ask you a brewer question. Yes. Uh, you are, okay, dark malts, character malts, high carbon malts, right? Mm -hmm. What's your favorite? What do you like the most? I like... I mean, I understand different things, you know, different songs for different I days. I, like, I think I like chocolate malt most, quickly followed by roasted malt, because yeah. chocolate has roasted, but it has like that softness to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Have you used, have you ever used Simpsons chocolate malt? All the time. I love Simpsons chocolate malt. So in all of our dark beers, you'll find it. I love it. It's the yeah. it's the best. You look at a handful and it's so irregular. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, I know. It's like brown, black, like right. black, kind of not. Oh, that one didn't get toasted. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, unless you use it, you cannot understand the power of Simpsons chocolate malt, man. Looking Where, at it, you'd be like, what is this garbage? Crisp is all the same color. Yes. So I've had to like sub those out over the past couple of years because BSG ran out or, you know, yes. pandemic. Um, yes, I'm like, is this the same? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So let's, let's then let's, now that we're off on this tangent, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about pale malt, right? I am a gigantic fan. See, this is the thing you've developed it. I'm sure I've developed it over the last 20 years. I have really particular, like, for example, when it comes to pale malt, <clears throat> obviously any pale malt will do for some beers, right? Um, but for beers like barley wine or particularly, you know, if I'm going to use fuggle hops, let's say, in a pale ale, yeah. I want to make it English as hell, right? Yep. Then for me, it's Maris, it's crisp Maris Otter. I think it's really difficult. Crisps, torrefied wheat, and Maris Otter are two of the most <laughs> fantastic malts for me that I've ever used. And I wonder if you have any any sleepers like that. I don't know how I got started. Well, Maris Otter was the first, that first... Um, that first double IPA that I made, they're like, try this mall. It's called Maris Otter. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like it was new then. And well, not no, new to the Americans. Um, so my base malts are like Pilsner, like Wireman Pilsner. I am picky yeah. about it. I like how grainy it is. I think it, it has a very specific flavor. It's delicious. Yeah. Wireman Pilsner, um, Simpsons Golden Promise. Yes. Cause it's super yellow. Like yes. it just picks off this like, golden gorgeous yellow color so like yeah. Nahual, that um chocolate coffee pail i was talking about uses mm -hmm. Simpsons, and i can tell when it's poured it's like sunshine it's beautiful yeah. and beautiful. then maris otter i use in a lot of beers absolutely okay. and then rar two row like rar pale two row 
You know, the only thing that kills me about it, though, and I feel like some days I could do better, is every time I open the bag, like 10% of it's already smashed. And I was like, Lord. do you do this? And it comes from Minnesota. And the stuff I get from like England and Scotland is like yeah. perfect. There's not a smashed barley in the whole bag. <laughs> well, I, this is not an interview for me, but I will tell you that I have a very complicated history with RAR uh, also. And it has to do with that specifically. And it was functionally, look, man, I know you, who you're selling malt to. I know I get the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, but right? <laughs> right. But I can't keep paying full price for five pounds of dust, guys. It's killing me, right? Um, but but it I'm is... afraid of like changing those recipes. Like I'm at this point, I want to use more local malt. We've been using a little bit of local hops here and there, like when we can afford them and find them. Um, I want to use more local malt, but I don't want to change... Like, I don't want to mess up the customer experience that we've created. So it's going to be like newer recipes, I think. So we're, yeah. we're doing it with that Grand Cru Ale for the Guild this summer. Um, we're making it with Berserk and working with Great Lakes Malting. So, Okay, good. I I have to say, I, I haven't, I we early on did a lot of work with local maltsters. And this is early on in Old Nation. So recently in my career, yeah. but like seven years ago, um, where... You know, the malt houses weren't set up for consistency. They weren't really set up for the volume that we have now. There have been a lot of changes, um, and I am certainly not poo-pooing local malt, but that was the experience that I had then, and I, I have to admit to a little reticence to using local malt at this point. But, you know, I'm ready to be pitched, and uh, and, and I'd love to hear what your experience is with it. Uh, it was great in Colorado. Like, we, like they had it modified further, I think is the best way of putting it. Like the way that they were processing their malt, I think it's maybe because of where it's grown. Like it's it's weird that we're growing malt here, I think in a way, because I think of it more as like a fruit hop, you know, grape. I don't know anything about ag. I'm just surprised that malt is grown here. So I think that's great. Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that it's not as modified. And so my efficiency has been lower and I didn't know that my first couple times out. So surprise, your <laughs> recipe is not what you thought it was going to be. And you can't, you know, you can throw no take, it there, but it changes it. Like you can't fix it at that point. No, no take backsies once it's out of the kettle. Right. So uh, I'm looking for things that are more modified. Right. 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 Well, and I, and I, and I know, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking in front of um, maltsters and, and hop growers here in Michigan at Michigan state later this um, early next month. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm doing as much research as I can to see how it's developed since the last time I kind of dipped my toes into it. I stay up on hops, um, but you know my family used to grow uh, Barca, the Barca strain of barley um, in, yeah. in the thumb of Michigan for Strohs, who had its own malt house here in Michigan as well a long time ago. So Bar I mean, it's possible to grow good barley here, um, you know, but it's I mean, it all got taken over by sugar beets and soy, yeah. know, seventy years ago. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a whole, like the, like you say, the whole thing from ag all the way through process is kind of new again. And it's, you know, it's scary as a brewer to think about, but it's also, I mean, it's, it's clearly crucial that we support that industry here in Michigan to support ourselves, I think. All day and everywhere. You know? I'm like, just huge support and education needs to happen so that it can be a great relationship and we can all, you know, thrive in it. I'm like, it'd be nice if everyone was thriving because we're nowhere near there. And they are, no. I don't think they are either. Well, and, the, and, and prospects are looking weird for breweries and people kind of getting in, particularly to distribution now. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, uh, you know, you've been around for a long time doing this for a long time. I wonder, you know, the breadth of experience you have and, 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 and what perspective that brings, what then, you know, do you think your perspective is on, on where we are now as brewers relative to the consumer and their changing tastes or their firm tastes? And, uh, what are your thoughts about where, where we might end up? And uh, by the way, I do this to everybody and we're just spitballing here. This is not. No, it's, uh, good. it's good. Um, I think that, I think the consumers just want, it, it's almost like we have like two halves of our brain, right? Like right and left or left and right or whatever, without any of the adjectives related to them. But consumers want your flagships. They want things that are like proven and consistent and like, man, Good luck if you use yeast that when crop that's a little bit darker than the other yeast that makes your beer darker, they freak out. So consistency. And then on the other hand, they want the different. And the different can be like, um, you know, these new native wines that Speciation's making or seltzers or like pickle beer, you know, like they want the weird, the different, the, the culinary is how I think of it because it's not just you're making weird beer just to be kitschy. You're going to be out of it so fast, like not out of it. Like you made a lot of sales, but it's not going to be long lasting. Right. You're not, you're not attempting to or expecting to hang your hat on, on as you say, pickle beer or whatever, right? This right. is something that you're doing to. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that's, we do it too. I often feel a little like a cheat uh, when I do it because it seems like a game that's too, that's really easy to play. I mean, um, like you pick a stout, throw things in it. Like that's, that's an easy game to play. But like we did make a pickle beer this last year because right. long story short, I was in Texas and had Martin House pickle beer. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, who's doing this? And like, this was the thing that they <laughs> like, they wouldn't, they weren't starting their whole brewery on it. Just like you guys weren't starting your whole brewery on M43. <laughs> it was like, they just hit the gong just like you guys did. And like, suddenly, oh my God, we're making all this pickle beer. And right. it's spicy and it's raspberry and it's regular and it's uh, it's intense. It's an intense. They have raspberry pickle beer. Oh my god, Ooh. is that real? So gross. It was like blue raspberry. So it was like that pink, like you know, like popsicle blue raspberry. But anyway, whatever. People it was blue it. raspberry beer. It was blue, like the beer pickle was beer. like spirulina blue. So pickle pickle juice. So Martin House. Who do they get their pickles from? I don't know. They named the beer that. Anyway, so so vinegary, garlicky, like it's crazy. It's a crazy Ugh. beer. I came home and I was like, I can't drink a pint of this. But there's something about it that's super interesting. So we took um, a Berliner Weiss or some sort of, it might not have been a Berliner specifically, but wheat and right. Pilsner sour. Sour wheat beer, yeah. Yeah, that we soured, uh, kettle soured traditionally because nobody seems to be doing that anymore. I'm like, funny how that's the thing. So, you know, did like a two, three day kettle sour on it. Really nice, like straw colored base. Added a tiny bit of dill in the fermenter after it was done fermenting and like tons of fresh juiced cucumbers. Right. And so we like to use fresh fruit, which is makes it feel less like a game. It makes it feel like, Hey, we're doing something like we're like cooking something. We're blending something. So, I mean, I have like a Vitamix and a juicer and we make as many of our own purees as I can. I also know that's going to be super different when we start canning things because those flavors die fast. So at least we can still do it in the pub, but yeah, we named it Tigris 
I'm like, that beer was awesome. So it tasted like cucumber water and like that lemony lactobacillus and just crisp. And that so, was our beer. And we're going to make it again this summer. <laughs> it was so we, make, <laughs> we make a We make a kettle sour base here that we call Day Mouse. We make it, mm -hmm. you know, a couple times a year. It, it doesn't sell very fast, but it's, you know, you know, it's easy to make yeah. and we go for it. Um, and every now and again, we'll take a portion of it and put whatever shit in it. Know. Yeah. And uh, we put pickles in it. Uh, I'm sorry, not pickles, rather. Sorry, cucumbers in cucumbers. it. Okay. Um, in an effort to get the kind of cucumber water vibe. We're thinking about mint, but we're like, you know, well, before we go off here, let's just see how cucumbers do. <laughs> and uh, do you know that it ended up, ended up tasting, really, it tasted like it tasted like pickles, grossly and not in a good way at all. <laughs> Juice them uh, next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was gross. <laughs> and, uh, so we dumped it but i'm glad that i mean you know i'm glad that we Ours tried it and people got mad when it was gone they were like where's more tigress i'm like okay like i'll put i will make it next summer <laughs> like, okay let me, let, let me ask you this yeah you make a beer i'm not saying that this has happened but if it has then then i'm asking if it, for your experience and actuality and if not then i'm asking for your theoretical opinion right okay um you make a beer right mm -hmm. you don't like it really but you put it out on tap, and by the way, this has happened to me, is why I'm asking the question. You put it out on tap because you know that it is what you expected to make. You just didn't expect it to be something you didn't like so much, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So you put it out, or you give it, you know, samples of it to, to, to whomever is in your tap room, and they like it. And they like it so much, they want you to put it on, and, you know, but you put it on. Mm -hmm. And people really like it, but you still have this kind of you know, sort of undergirding of just shame about this beer, you know, and uh, it doesn't sell particularly well, but there's a small cadre of people that really like it yeah. who become angry when it's gone and there's no way in hell you're going to make it. Again, right. Yep. How do you, how do you respond to that? Uh, sorry. That's what I No, mean. Don't be sorry. So <laughs> I decided that when I opened my business, that I would never do that to myself. <laughs> If I'm not going to drink a pint of it at the Bright Tank and there's nothing that we can do to make it more delicious, right? done. So this is then... We'll not serve it. But in the case in the scenario that you gave me, um, what I would do is make it again, but make it how I intended to make it, make it great and be like, here's version two. And like people will love it. Like I will make it again one more time and make it great. Right. Make sure that I love it. Like... And I'm not just me, but like I have other staff try it and stuff like that. Like we we talk a lot about flavors. Uh, most of the ideas come from my partner, Kate, who's our chief of operations. We have our chef tossing lots of beer nerds on staff. Like they're like we have a like a old snowboard because Colorado is just full of them. I made into a whiteboard and I just okay. leave it in the brewery and they write their beer ideas, flavors on there. And we've been ticking them off. So like you might like they might not love there have been beers that. I will drink, I will drink a pint of, but the customers would not touch. Yes, so, I, that's Pilsner in my brewery. That's oh my no, brewery. You're good. <laughs> all the brewers are like, thank God, a Pilsner. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and I guess maybe that's you know maybe that's that's a difference of in in in, in perspective. I, for yeah. me, I can know that a beer is good, right? It's as good as I can make it, right? Yeah. I just don't. Where it's not for me, and that's really because I think I'm a lot more dogmatic because mm -hmm. I was brought up as a brewer. 
in Europe where everybody is really dogmatic or was at the time, right? 20 some years. What about like marshmallow blar to blar beer? Like, are you no, no, not even mad about cucumber. it? <laughs> no, cucumber no. sour like, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's actually a bad example because that was just categorically terrible. <laughs> but um, so, you know, and, and I think that, so for me, it is less a, I know that this is a technically good beer and I understand why you all like it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't sell well and I don't like it. So I don't think I'm going to go for it again, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I suppose I, I do that. Um, and, and of course, we'll go to beers and say, well, you know, it's not perfect, but they really like it. So we're just going to kind of over iterations, change it into what we want it to, to mm -hmm. be. Um, and, and that's normal. I think I think most breweries do that. Um, for 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 Guardian and and in your career, what is kind of like? Do you have a brass ring is the wrong word, but do you have a like? You know, I want to get to where we are doing this, or are you just kind of enjoying the 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 journey? <laughs> we are in the process of changing our license this year from brew pub to micro brewer distillery winery cidery that whole deal okay and just took in uh, a wild goose gosling machine this past week so i am not going to be jockeying for shelf space like i am not stupid like we're tiny i don't i don't desire to do that i want to feed our pub first but i want those things to be available so I'm hoping that like smaller convenience stores around the area pick up our stuff. Like it's, you know, we're your neighbor, like might as well support. I'm like, we support, you support. We, we just live in that kind of area. Right. So Saugatuck, Douglas, Fenville. Yeah. Holland, well, so, yeah. so, so what is my brass ring? Honestly, I just want a brewery that brings in enough income that I'm not, and Kate's not up at night worrying about things, that our staff are supported, they can buy their first house or like, you know, always have food for their families. Like, God, the stories I've heard, they can, they have a place to live that's not in their parents' house. That would be amazing. Like, just stuff like that. Like, we're not looking to become like the New Glarus of Michigan. We're not looking to do only production. Like, food's still a really big piece of what we do. I think community is the piece, like just helping not create because the craft beer culture is already here, but help like maneuver it into a place where more people feel welcome through enjoying flavors of beverages, whether they're NA or all the alcohols that we have or food or, you know, we just want to be a place where you can just hang out and relax. And like I said, I just need to make enough money for these things to happen. Maybe a vacation more than every four years. <laughs> You know, like that's, I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe I'll get paid. Like I've still never been paid a dime. I'm like, this is so fun. <laughs> but, you know, little yeah. things like that. And like, I'm not even looking to like, you know, Jeff Bezos, this thing. We're like, just cut me the largest check possible. Like, I just, I want to make sure that we're, we're building something that is wanted and sustainable and heck, maybe employee owned because I don't have kids. So. Right on. Yeah. Um, I, th I think um, there's been always this, and this is something that, you know, I talk to, you know, friends that I have in the, I'm not active in the guild. I haven't been for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why um, is because there is such a, 
such a dichotomy of need between um, production style. Well, such a dichotomy of, of business and so, really so many differences between production facilities. I mean, we run a successful pub and we, I mean, my wife and I are constantly volunteering in the community and we support our community and we're capable of doing so because the brewery generates so much revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so not only of our time, but of our, our capital. Um, and that's crucial to us. Uh, but, and so there are similarities, of course, right, in that regard. But in terms of um, the needs of the actual business moving forward, there's such a huge split and, and, and really a chasm between mm -hmm. pub brewing, which I did for a really long time, and production brewing. And also the difference between, and I'm just being frank with you here, the difference between folks that are kind of new to the industry and have mm -hmm. a lot of dreams and thoughts about what things should be. And particularly folks I've experienced in my 20 some years in the industry who are coming from other uh, disciplines and coming into brewing and, 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 and kind of have a, an array of opinions about brewing that go from, I'm going to teach these hippies how to do business to, you know, um, yeah. whatever. Uh, and it's, you know, for me, it's, I just don't, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see a lot of, I see a lot of similarity in a lot of the people there. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. But the, the the difference in need and the the the, the volume of the voice coming from uh, production and the difference in need and the volume of the voice coming from from the smaller pubs and startups, mm -hmm. it's just a lot to handle. So, what, what, how do you, do you do you see that? If so, what does it look like to you? And if not, then what does that look like to you? Well, coming from Colorado's guild, I think this one looks pretty similar. So Colorado, I mean, had a split because of the like AB InBev buying Brack and stuff like that. And like a huge fracture in the guild, like they went through this in a more major way. And I just keep talking to the guild, like, you don't want this to happen. Like we can plan for this. So we just um, met in Lansing a couple days ago to look at the new Lansing office, which is pretty amazing for us to have a presence in our capital as a guild. Like it's like we just put on our big kid pants for the first time in 25 years as a guild. It's exciting. So most of the planning that we do is for smaller breweries, but the bigger breweries sometimes just yell louder. And so I see being some someone who's only been in the Michigan guild for four, four years, five years now, and then been on the board for three years, um, I've been trying to catch up on all that history that you're talking about. So kind of all the things. Um, there are so few pubs in the state. I feel like if anyone needs like a lifeline and like a hand, I would love to see like a brew pub committee. I would think that would be really good for them, like band together because it's just different. And then from there, like have groups of folks that can get together and just share ideas for like small, medium and large breweries, like all production, but totally different size production. Like we will be doing technically production this year, but my production's nowhere near where your production is, you know, as far as volume size. So you have things to share through history that could be helpful for places like mine that are smaller. Sure. Uh, yeah. I'm like right now I see us going into this. It's not, factions or fractioning of the guild by any means, but it's almost like, um, like interest groups and like mentoring. And it's, it's cool to kind of see this corner turn, but if you, 
I don't know what the membership sees because I've never, like I was only on that side for so little of a bit of time. And, you know, I don't believe in sitting on the board forever, just so you know, too. So um, I will quickly be on the, you know, the membership side in the next few years um, right. with my thought. So uh, I want, we're trying to clarify that message to, so that everybody can see it. Like, right. this is what's going on. This is what we've done. And it's all for smaller breweries. The bigger breweries just end up, you know, benefiting from it. And they have a lot more people that attend the conference. So I know it looks like they have more presence. Um, I, I, I don't know what small breweries can do about that. Maybe we can do scholarships or something. But there's definitely ways that we can, like, I think, share across the board a little bit more financially that way to get more people to come so the visibility looks different. But I right. understand what you're saying. Like, they can send, like, 10, 20 people to the conference. I'm like, whoa. Like, <laughs> whereas yeah. I'm like, hey, the two of us or one of us because it's free with our membership. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, with regard to the production, we're as as big as most anybody but, but three or four breweries here in the state. And, and I right. think we, we don't. Right. Right. Um, send, you know, we'll send John might go or, you know, one of our sales reps might go because yeah. they're interested to network. Um, and, I, and I've never really have gotten anything out of networking at Guild Functions. Right. Um, what my thought has always been about the Guild, and I've talked about this for 20 years now, is, you know, can we weave? It's fantastic that we're, you know, we have we have political action. We've been, you know, we've had a very expensive political advocate at the Capitol for a lobbyist, essentially, for many, 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 many years. Mm -hmm. um, now we have, uh, what, July is craft beer month. I mean, we've gone there. We've stopped some taxes uh, from, from being raised on brewers in conjunction with federal um, uh, actions. But um, I I have always gotten the, the feeling that the Guild is, you know, has been owner centric, um, which is good, I suppose, um, and not brewer centric. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I don't have any problem with with folks coming to the guild who are, who are not brewers, of course, or aren't even affiliated with a brewery. Um, but I do think that the more the guild does that, the less they're able to focus on some really important issues that would make Michigan a better beer state and education is the main one. Mm -hmm. um, Yep. You know, and and uh, and I'm not petitioning you, by the way. I've I've talked yeah. to everybody I, I know it. about. That. I agree. <laughs> right. Something that I'm I am just bent on bringing from the Colorado Guild is to make it more brewer and employee centric. And so the first piece that I brought to Michigan was Pint Day or Pint Month, I guess we do. But Colorado does Colorado Pint Day, mm -hmm. and we're doing you know those pint glasses, the really cool ones that are for sale during Beer Month. And I was like, why aren't we raising funds for whatever we need to raise funds for, whether it's scholarships or the guild or whatever, I don't know, just, you know, whatever the case may be, like, that's a piece that I brought in. And I was like, why aren't we doing something like a brewer's belt? Like, why aren't we building that below owner, but running the whole business camaraderie? I want to see that. I want us to be more brewer and employee centric. I'll just say employee centric. I want to see like we had um, servers and kitchen staff at Winterfest with us and they were like, this is awesome. Like it makes them love their jobs so much more because they finally can see the community that they're a part of. 
They right. can meet the people, they can drink the beer. It's different than just going to buy it at the store. So I'm like, I'd love to see it more just employee centric altogether. And I'm just gonna, that's why I started the DEI. I mean, it's not just for diversity, equity and inclusion, the committee. It's for all the other people. Yeah. But owners are making all the decisions and you know, you and I sit in those seats ourselves, but yeah. I mean, I'm only 10 years in, you're 20 years in. So I'm like, I'm still bringing a lot of those like optimistic, starry eyed, like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. And yeah. it's going to be very um, community centric. And like I said, just like painfully optimistic, whether it works right. or not. But right. And, and that doesn't that doesn't have to be lost. I mean, you know, after I after 20 years, am, am I having as much fun brewing as it sounds like you are? Kim, I am not. No, I'm not. But you um, should come brew with me someday, Travis. Maybe yeah, I would love to. <laughs> okay. um, but uh, but I am having as much fun. You know, uh, Camilla, my, my wife, who runs the pub here, does, mm -hmm. um, you know, she she volunteers for weekend survival kits. And that's mm -hmm. the the charity to which we give the, the most it's local charity. Cool. Um, and you know, Lord, we I coach baseball and we paid and installed for a buddy bench at the elementary school and so on. And so, I mean, there's a, a hundred things like that, that we're doing that yeah. to me is where my enjoyment of the, of the job comes from. Right. Um, and it's, it, 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 but I guess the, 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 the point here is to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, wherever you're going to go, right? If, if you are a, a brewery who is, you know, super hypey, like Old Nation has been, or other breweries still are, you know, and you're, you're doing bottle releases and everybody's paying attention to you, what a great time to talk about what's important to you, whatever that right. is, right? Yeah. But you have to get there first. And so I guess for me, the, 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 the focus on an actual technical education for brewers um, that allows the brewers then who are working for the owners or starting to own their own companies to have that, not just the theoretical technical training, but then on the job training for some time before they get in the market and start inflicting their whimsy on an unsuspecting public is crucial. And we are doing nothing for that. Nothing. And we never have. No. Nope. Um, and, and I don't have an idea. I, I'm talking like I have a passionate idea on how to change it. Tim. I don't. You know but. what? I'm like, if people paid attention to Fermenta and we were able to implement that in the guild so that more people, not just women or women identified folks are a part of, I'm, I'm trying, just know that it's been asked by the membership. It's been asked by the committee. It's been asked by me. I'm like, if there's a way that we can financially support and also encourage and mentor folks, oh man, they need an education. So I did consulting for a couple of years while Guardian was getting started. And every time I met someone, I'm like, here's the deal. Like if you're unwilling to go and work at another brewery before this, like, I don't think we're going to do well together because I'm right. going to be your brewer. Like I can do all this information, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, like you're going to be really sad. Right. And you're going to be in a world of debt and it's not going to work. So. Right. I'm we have to agree on some fundamental principles. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. <clears throat> it's all about the employees right now. Like, the owners, we don't need more people to open breweries right now. I love you all. Like with the dreams, like really what we need is to focus on employee education and training and um, quality of life. Yes. And if we can like nail those three things down, then it's time to open more breweries because that's not dealt with. No. And that's going to continue to not be dealt with for every restaurant, brewery, distillery, anybody in the service industry that's opening right now is just chipping away at the pie 
And like, I'm one that did that too. Like, I mean, I just opened a few years ago. I understand that. But I also did it with this like crazy mission to like try to make a difference. It's just such a long game. I think people aren't necessarily ready or happy about that. It's a well, I, quality of life is a, you know, I just read an article about this the other day, maybe Sunday or, or maybe even yesterday um, about, you know, shorts doing this, this, mm -hmm. you know, what seems a so crazy cool. thing buying the Bel Air Inn, you know, and, and, and converting it into employee housing. That's a step in the right direction. <clears throat> um, equitable pay is a step in the right direction. Um, you know, we have the benefit of living in a very small town, which is not a tourist destination. So yeah. housing is relatively stable. It's kind of expensive, but there's an apartment complex right across the street from the brewery. It's nice and it's not expensive relative to a lot of places. You are in an extraordinarily popular tourist destination. I don't live in the town we own our brewery in. I can't okay. afford it. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's, that's what I'm so going to ask. messed up. I'm like, I can't. So when I vote, we're not even voting for like the thing, the place that we spend the most time in. Like it doesn't right. make any sense. Right. Right. Okay. And for your employees, this is a difficult, I mean, this is an issue. Yes. Yes. Okay. So either they are older than me and this is like their retirement job. So they can't afford to live in town and they've been here for, you know, they've been well-established um, townies for a long time. And then, or people are like, they were living with their parents either temporarily or permanently. Um, yeah. We had, in the last, you know, almost four years that we've been open, we've had one young employee buy a house and watching her go through that was awful. Like she probably walked through 30 or no, walked through 50 and put offers in on 30. Like it was just painful. Like she's just getting outpriced and it's like way up in Holland. So like, she's still 30 minutes away from the brewery when before she was anyway, it's, it's so sad. And we're selling the field across from our house or from the brewery. And I'm really hoping that somebody is like, Hey, I should put in like tons of like condos here, except the condos that are like affordable, right? Attainable right. housing, attainable housing with commercial front, like person listening to this podcast, do it. Like right. it will be perfect. Right. It's like 200 condos there. No problem. It's a 23 acre piece of land that's really rare in the area now. Right. And there's another one like downtown Douglas, like right in the middle where the old, um, what was it? It wasn't, um, I think it was a steel case building that they knocked down. So like 11,000 square foot facility, they demoed it and now the whole lot's just sitting there. So like everybody's talking about attainable housing here because none of us have staff, but no one around the whole world slash us has staff right now right. too yeah. but we all know this is a problem that's been a problem it's right. just so easy to ignore like ah, well i think it's a big piece of it like we really want to take care of our staff we really need to like get in locally put our time in and help set the things in place where they can have a successful future here even if it's just summer staff or if it's like you're starting your first relationship, family, whatever. Like I don't have kids, but like, I still think of like Kate and my cat as my family. Like I'm coming home to my family. So you're like yeah. starting your first family, your first house, your first, whether you're renting it or buying it, there's yeah. nothing here. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's hard, right? If, yeah. if there was an easy answer, it would be answered of course. Um, but boy, it is, 
I mean, particularly, honestly, it's something I didn't give a lot of thought to until I read that article and I have been in this industry for more than two decades, right? Mm -hmm. How stupid that I never thought about all of these breweries who are located in destination towns for the reason that they're destination towns struggling to pay, you know, and of course it's the same with ski resorts and stuff, but I don't spend that kind of money and I don't go on vacation, so I wouldn't know. But, you know, I mean, that's the... I mean, wow, what what a struggle um, on top of being, you know, queer and female owned and the first and all this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. there are these mundane but grinding and omnipresent issues that you have to deal with in this place, too. Yep. So what is the answer? Making good beer and getting people in to buy it and pay you money for it. Right. Yeah. This is the answer. Trimming, trimming open hours. All those things. <laughs> We had to no. stop serving for three lunches out of the week. I hated it, but we don't have cooks. Like, right, right. Or, you know, and I just refuse to like grind people into the ground and be like, "You're going to work sixty hours a week." I won't do it. Right. You're working right. forty or less, and that's what it is. And you're getting two days off a week, or you're splitting shifts so that there's two days worth of days off because. I don't like seeing myself with less time than that. If I can swing it, I don't like seeing you with less than two days off a week. Like they need lives. They have, they have like their own families and some of them have young babies and like hobbies. I'm like, you need to go do all those things. Like this can't be your whole life. It can't. Right. 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 There's, there's not enough here for you, no matter how much I put it. I mean, I got enough work for them, but like, there's not enough. Well enough to to fill your whole life. No, you have to like, like you're going to outlast guardian. So you have to go do the things on your time off that make you joyful in your own life when you're not here. Cause we know you're just going to be here for a little bit. And even if that little bit's 10 years, like it's still a drop in the bucket of your life. Like right. we know well, this that. Is, I'm not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perspective <clears throat> that was, that was present uh, when I was living and working in Europe, that was kind of just taken for granted that that is the perspective that everybody has about everybody else. Right. <laughs> Um, and it was so eye-opening to me, um, coming from, a, you know, a, a rural area here in Michigan where, you know, it is work as hard as you possibly can with no consideration for yourself until you die. Right. That's awful. <sighs> but it is the majority of America. Right. Oh. Um, and, uh, and what, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure it out, you know, 25 years later, uh, for myself, but more importantly, for the people that who I employ, which now number in the, you know, in the, in the, in the forties. And these, and these folks have, you know, back here in the brewery, folks start at 17 bucks an hour. Um, you know, the average pay is about 48 grand. Um, and that's, you know, that's about as good as we can do. Um, but you know, the, the crazy thing to me is just a server that worked full time in the restaurant or just a bartender, right? Just someone on the floor in the restaurant uh, here. Mm-hmm. The restaurant here is such that it would be no problem to work 36 hours a week and make $50,000 a year. No problem, right? Right. Um, not just 30 hours. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, they're not particularly great hours to work, right? They're evenings and weekends. Yeah. But um, Kim, we can't find anything. No, you can be, you can pay really well. You can give fantastic benefits, unique benefits. You can, yes. you know, you can live in a place where there are places to live and there are not places to live. You can, 
I just, I don't know where people are. We talk about it all the time and just try to think of like, it's got to be like a dozen things. Yeah, it, it is. And I mean, we know that it is, you know, I mean, look, I, I, you, you, have you ever worked in a restaurant? I've never been a server or a bartender. Have you ever done that? I've job? been a bartender, but not a server. I couldn't no. do that job. I, I know for sure I couldn't do it. I, I would be horrible at it. I do not have the patience for it. Um, and uh, the patience with people and their absurdity. Um, and I, and I, I really think, you know, the more I talk to people that we, that we try and hire here for that job, is, is it just, is it generational? Is it just a, a sort of a, a, an overall zeitgeist? Everybody's fed up with it. I mean, this idea of service that we've put into American culture is not sustainable, right? No, I am the Lord of this place when I walk in. Right. Yeah. That's I'm like, that's crazy. I'm like, I feel like you should treat it like you're going to somebody else's house. That's important to you. So maybe it's like grandma's house or like your best friend's house. Like you are welcome. Like be comfortable, ask for what you need, but pass that. No swearing over there is like, she's like, you're a server now. Like being a server now as an owner, like I'll jump in and serve and run stuff and bus and orders and, you know, whatever, but I had not had this job before. And there's a, a power you have as the owner to yes. just like, I own this place, like yeah. this is what's going on today. And they're like, woo, and they listen. Right. And I want them to have that same respect for staff. And like, some do, some don't. Right. It's it's really interesting. I, I love serving drinks. I'm like, you're serving them a drink. They're happy. It's the food. Yeah. The food is a completely different piece and it brings out an animal and people that is not always pretty. It's a lot like talking to a home brewer, maybe, isn't it? Right. Where it is, you know, if I did. No home brewers don't come to me anymore. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) But I know what you're talking about. Yeah. They don't go. I've had your your M43 and here's how I'd make it if I had a brewery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming. I'm sure. This is your Nessie. This is how I'd make Nessie. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's good. It's good. It's It's flattering, but it's awkward. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm saying, you know, what they, what they quite often, that's the conversation you have. I mean, your beer is good. It's okay. But you know, I'm also a brewmaster. I've done at least 40 brews at home. Um, And my neighbor loves it. Um, So it's amazing. (laughs) Can men can men mansplain things to each other, or is it just talking? Because like oh, I feel like oh. most of the guys that would come and talk to me, I'd be like, "Are you mansplaining the recipe that I made to yeah. me?" <laughs> well, I think I think you know my experience has been, and of, and of course I don't have the same experience as you or anyone else does. And I'm a six foot two, two hundred and thirty pound ex football player who went to school in Germany to be a brewer, so I've got a lot of armor. I think, right. yeah, um, but. My experience has always been that assholes talk to people like assholes and people who are not assholes don't do that. Right. Um, So yeah, mansplaining, I guess. (laughs) Yes, it happens. (laughs) Um, But my perspective is not, why are you mansplaining to me? It is who hurt you? Why are you such an asshole? I don't know you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such an angry human. Right. Oh, we're here to drink. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. That's it. Maybe that's a good note to end on. Right. Okay. Perfect. We're here to drink. Right. You're here to have a drink or like have somebody make and serve you food you don't have to make and clean up. Yes. Like, yay. Just be, be comfortable. Right. Relax, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. You know, maybe you should be smoking weed instead of drinking beer. This is what I want to tell people. <laughs>
They'd be hungrier. <laughs> You'd be hungrier. Yes, but we'd then come in and don't drink. How's that? That's your rule. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Kim, I, I hope that uh, you get to Lansing and are able to drop by here. I don't know when I'll be in Sock Duck next, but I'd love to I'd love to meet you in person. Uh, if you're ever around, please stop in. Um, you know, there's always somebody here, even if I'm not, that I'm sure you'd be interested in chatting with. Awesome. Yeah, it was really yeah. great to finally meet you. You too. Um, okay, so this one's in the books. Thank you so much, Kim. Um, everybody, please go to Guardian Brewing, which is located at what particular address in Saugatuck? So 3657 63rd Street in Saugatuck, right on the corner of 63rd and the Blue Star Highway. If you are in Saugatuck and not going to this brewery, you are doing a disservice just to yourself. Go to the other exit. We're at the other exit. I'm like, just go. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much. I wish you all the best. And, uh, you know, as I say to everybody, and I mean this sincerely, we are a bigger brewery with big resources. If there is anything you need, please, you now we, we're in contact with each other. Please don't hesitate to ask. Uh, I'm happy to do it. And uh, I will, uh, I'll give you the buzz, uh, buzz for the same thing if that's something we need to. Awesome. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Kim. Bye. Have a good day. You too.